politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, forgotten and scorned taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here at Blaze TV on Thursday, November 12th. Folks, I'm in a bad mood. Now, you got to give me credit. I haven't been in a bad mood every day this month. I've been in a good mood a couple of days. But we are being raped as a people and as a nation. This is not okay. This is not okay, and it will not stand. And I don't just mean the fraud in the election. As I noted yesterday, what's worse than election fraud is governing fraud. See, you could claw, beat, scratch, spit, and steal to win an election. But in a functioning republic where we would all be abiding by that original contract, the consequences of that steal wouldn't be too bad. Okay, so you won an election. So you'll be able to meet with foreign leaders and deal deal with foreign relations, foreign commerce the way you see fit. And that would probably mean, in the case of a Democrat, dumping on Israel, coddling Iran, and that's, that's bad. But in terms of how it affects our everyday lives, the way we earn a living, the way we send our kids to school, the way we worship God, the way we walk the streets... And safety, with the ability to defend ourselves, and to breathe fresh air, for goodness sakes, without a diaper on our face. That shouldn't change in a republic. Because we don't elect Kim Jong-un here. We have a document. We can't be ruled over. It's not who's going to rule over us. It's who is going to be the chief executive of the federal government, of the state government, of the county government. It doesn't mean who's going to rule over us. And we see one governor after another, including Republican governors, promulgating tyranny, lockdowns, and mass mandates on top of the existing ones that didn't work while the flu has disappeared. And this is essentially this year's flu. And we have learned you have the ability to chase away this virus the same way you have the ability to scare away or play hide-and-seek, and, and peekaboo with a seasonal flu. But regardless of whether you have the ability to deal with it, which we certainly don't, do you have the right to do this to human beings? I mean, folks, we are a million levels past the Revolutionary War era grievances against King George, and we have nothing doing here. Where is the revolution? It's time for that revolution. And that's what we're going to be Exploring today, we'll have our special guest later today, Mark Meckler, who co-founded the Tea Party, to see how we start a movement that's much more robust and enduring than what he started in 2010. And I really don't know the answer. Now, until then, we must not lose our sense of humor, which is why I need you to support our sponsor today, Patriot Penguin, with... Christmas coming, Thanksgiving, New Year's. Everyone's looking to send holiday notes, messages to loved ones, friends, Christmas cards. Aren't you sick and tired of these overpriced greeting cards that don't say what you really want to say? 
Americans have been stuck in that greeting card section of Rite Aid, you know, for years, reading these sappy, incoherent messages that are frankly weak. They look like they were written by uh, Rosa DeLauro or Biden's speechwriter. Those days are over thanks to Patriot Penguin, the first and only greeting card company for conservatives with a bigly sense of humor. From birthdays to Christmases, Patriot Penguin has a wide selection of cards that will trigger your snowflake friends and relatives with non-politically correct messages. Plus, remind the like-minded that you don't think or that you don't drink the mainstream Kool-Aid. All their cards are designed and printed right here in the good old USA, ship-free and quick. Go to PatriotPenguin.com right now and save on a four-card package for $22 deal with the offer code CR. Remember, you must place your order by December 15th, which you naturally want to do if you want to get it out by Christmas to guarantee arrival before Christmas. Let's keep Christmas great. Let's make America great again with Patriot Penguin. Go to PatriotPenguin.com. That's PatriotPenguin.com, offer code CR. Now, folks, what is so difficult in just exploring what we do and don't do here is the fact that what do you do when you come decades and years after the tyrannical cancer already grew long before what our founders let it grow in the 1700s, and you don't really have an ability to utilize your God-given rights because of the way society is set up. What do you do when they cheat legally, politically, media-wise in a way that they kind of have you surrounded in all directions? Think about it. My state of Maryland, we have the governor, Larry Fatboy Hogan, Looks like Kim Jong-un, by the way. Like most of the governors, Republican and Democrat, two sides of the same tyrannical coin, he goes around and is like, here's what we're doing. I don't like the way things are headed. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's November and we don't have the flu this year, but this is supplanting the flu for this year. We have this every year where the hospitals start filling up in November. Except this year, the hospitals have $200 billion to deal with it. What are you going to do about it? Um, we're going to lock down and wear masks. Uh, fat boy, you've been doing that for seven months. So by your own admission, it's a self-indictment in what you're doing that it doesn't work. But besides the point, there's something called the Maryland Declaration of Rights. It's one of the most beautiful state constitutions. One of the earliest. Maryland really had the first Declaration of Rights in 1637. This was created a little bit later. Article 44 of the Maryland Declaration. That the provisions of the Constitution of the United States and of this state apply as well in time of war as in time of peace and any departure therefrom or violation thereof under the plea of necessity or any other plea is subversive of good government and tends to anarchy and despotism. We, we call it anarchy and tyranny. Same thing. Notice, notice what's happening. Notice the language. They understood. They weren't stupid. They weren't like, oh, they're going to come and say, hey, we hate you, so therefore we're sacking democracy. No, they're going to say it's for your good. We are, as, as Mike DeWino in Ohio said, we are going to, um, we have asked people for many generations to sacrifice a lot more 
all we ask is that you wear a mask. Uh, you've been wearing it for months, you bozo. But they understood that and they said, whether it's under the plea of necessity or any other plea, the rights don't go away. It's like a marriage. In sickness and in health. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. That's what that document is, that social contract that was signed in 1789, even earlier, by the respective states. That is our document. This is the election fraud. This is the biggest election fraud. You don't have the right to do that. See, you look at the social compact of governance as laid out in the Declaration of Independence. And basically what it is, is there's three spheres. There's certain things that government must do. That's why you you create it. It's a necessity. There's certain things that are kind of middle ground. They don't really have to do. It's not a core function. But perhaps the majority of people, if they get together through their elected representatives, they could vote to engage in a certain issue and do something if they feel it's, it's needed. It's kind of the middle ground. Maybe it could be done by the private sector, maybe not. But typically, those type of things would be done at a very local level. And then there's the third sphere, which are things that affect me, my body, my person, my property. It's hands off. You can't vote away my property and liberty rights. You can't vote away, you can't subjugate me. Okay? So we have government today that its core jobs of protecting our border protecting us from criminal aliens, protecting us from domestic criminals, anarchy, looting, rioting, public property, private property destruction, they don't do. And that's a must, and they don't do it. But what they are doing is, I'm going to gag your mouth and nose. I'm going to shut down your private schools. I'm going to shut down your business. I'm going to shut down your church. This is why our, our, our country was created. Article 32 of the Maryland Constitution. No person except regular soldiers, Marines, and Mariners in the service of the state or militia when in actual service ought in any case to be subject to or punishable by martial law. But here we have it. Even the Jacobson v. Massachusetts case that they often cite, 1905, said that quarantine powers of a state cannot be used, quote, in an arbitrary, unreasonable manner or might go so far beyond what was reasonably required for the safety of the public. New York State Supreme Court, in the 1850s, the People versus Peter W. Roth, they said a quarantine law cannot sentence, quote, all persons well or sick whether exposed to infection or not, to an unlimited imprisonment. Article 24. No man ought to be taken or imprisoned or deceased of his freehold, liberties or privileges, or outlawed or exiled, or in any manner destroyed or deprived of his life, liberty, or property, but by the judgment of his peers or by the law of the land. Article 1. This is how the Constitution starts, and many states start like this, some form, that all government of right originates from the people, is founded in compact only, and instituted solely for the good of the whole, and they have at all times the inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their form of government in such manner 
as they may deem expedient. And finally, Article 6, whenever the ends of government are perverted and public liberty manifestly endangered and all other means of redress are ineffectual, the people may and of right ought to reform the old or establish new government. The doctrine of non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression is absurd, slavish, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. This is the Maryland Constitution. Because they thought people think, come on, you can't, it's too hard, you can't rebel. Here we have arbitrary power, governors, seven months into this stuff not working, much less not having the authority to implement it. Here's what we're doing. No questions asked. Where do we go from here? They lie, cheat, and steal. We do everything we can. Let me give you a very vivid example of the dichotomy between a blue state and a so-called red state. Let me compare or contrast Virginia and Colorado at one end and the state of Ohio at the other end. In many respects, Ohio is our Virginia or Colorado, meaning these were all states that used to be contested. In fact, Colorado and Virginia used to be solid red over time. 2004, 2008 or so, they became purple, and then they became blue. The minute they became blue, okay, the minute they became blue, when Democrats achieved in Virginia and Colorado trifecta control, House, Senate, and the governorship, they didn't just kind of dip their toe into it like we'll go a little liberal. It might be a tenuous hold. We don't want to um, you know, overstay our welcome. We don't want to abuse our mandate. No. They went full bore California. The transgender stuff, the sanctuary for illegals, the gun grabbing, the jailbreak, letting out violent criminals, all those states... The drugs, you name it, went full bore. Okay? That's what a blue state is. Not just, you know, the long-standing blue states, but even ones that they recently flipped over. There's no, like, partial blue. Boom. They have that control. The minute they have it, they do what they want, whether it's prudent or not, whether it's lawful or not, whether it's constitutional or not, whether it violates fundamental rights or not, that's what they do. Then you look at Ohio is the opposite. That's a state that was kind of, you know, went back and forth, stalemate, used to be kind of more red, but then under Bush went a little bit more purple, and the second time around in 04, he won it, but by less of a margin. That was the tipping point. Then Obama won it in 08, easily won it by less of a margin in 2012. And then Trump flips it spectacularly in 2016 and wins it even more in 2020. And now it's kind of our version of Colorado and Virginia. What was once a, um, a you know, purple state is now a solid red state. Won pretty much every county except for like four or five or six, maybe in the entire state. And Republicans have super majorities, not just majorities, super majorities in both houses of the legislature. Yet you look at what that governor is doing, and I challenge any of you to demonstrate or show me on the issues of our time pertaining to life, liberty, and property. 
show me one iota of difference between where Ohio stands on Corona fascism and where New York and California stand. Not only is it not like, oh, it's not solid red, meaning Ohio should be our, well, I can't think of the state. I was going to say our reverse California, but we don't really have one. Our Wyoming, but Wyoming really isn't solid. (laughs) Um, But I digress. But it's not, you get what I'm saying? It's not even a partial thing. It's the full bore tyranny. It's not just our version. It's not just not our version of California. It is California. So where do we go? We vote Republican and now pops Democrat policies. Like like, like a, one of those voter machines that render all the ballots Democrat. Where do, where do we turn? This is the problem. What do you do when you're stuck? But you're only stuck in a so-called legal sense. Well, Daniel, there's nothing we do. It's the law. But it's not the law because it's arbitrary power that violates state, federal law, constitution. The courts, you know, screw us every time. But then when we get in power, we can't do anything. What's the state power is given to the feds? What's the fed power is given to the states? What's a legislative duty is given to the courts and vice versa? Our whole thing is mixed up. At what point do we say, oh, we're just going to keep playing by the rules while they don't? How do you win a fight like that? And why should we? Why shouldn't we just abolish it? I'm dead serious. I'm going to give you an analogy here. That that bothers me. And I want to be very clear. I'm not making the violent. I'm not bringing over the violence to analogy. What occurred here in a violent way. I'm drawing an analogy on a political way. Of civil disobedience and starting our own government. But here's the way I feel. Now I've said this before. When the American soldiers liberated the concentration camps in World War II after the Holocaust, so they were shocked to discover what went on there. Remember, the New York Times covered up the Holocaust, so people didn't know. On April 29, 1945, boys from the 3rd Battalion, 157th Infantry, 45th Infantry Division, It was commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Felix Sparks. They approached the Dachau concentration camp. And they found rail cars with brain tissue splattered across the place, crushed skulls, emaciated naked bodies. And they just couldn't believe it. And in one big act of righteous indignation, they allegedly lined up all the Nazi guards after they they had already surrendered and they machine gunned them against the wall. And what's funny is now nowadays all the liberals are trying to smear our veterans. I mean, I I don't know if any of them are alive, but um, our soldiers and, you know, complain about Patton for covering it up. It's funny how they call everyone Nazis, but then the people that actually killed the Nazis, they want to retroactively treat them like war criminals. Now, any sane person looking at that situation 
with true morals would look at it like this and say, look, these people violated the laws of humanity over and over and over and over and over again in the most grotesque way you could imagine. And now you're saying, well, play by the rules. Uh, they surrendered. No, 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 no. We're not. We're going to reclaim the rules. And that's how I feel, too. And again, analogy here, we're not talking about shooting anyone. And we're not. We're talking about when you have one side that so viciously violates the rules of the, of, of the game. And then you get caught in a pickle. Well, I know you can't do that. They won an election. This is how it is. He said you got to wear a mask. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But this is the thing. We can't even get Republicans to do jack squat. You know, I have out an article today, nine ideas, nine things Republicans should pass immediately if they were sane to protect the franchise, the precious nature of it it that it should be, with a degree of verification that we protect banking, private, public functions that we do all the time of lesser importance. Folks, there's a state called Georgia, a state that we should all recognize something very funny went on there in Fulton and Clayton and Gwinnett counties where Biden got insane margins. And it's not like Trump dropped in his vote. So you can say, oh, well, the suburban people in Gwinnett soured on Trump even more than last time. It's not true. He got about what he got last time. So it didn't come out of his share. It was all Biden, a new, just in, like crushing Obama's turnout. Doesn't make any sense. It does if you understand the mail-ins. But Republicans control everything there. There's a runoff right now, January 5th. In fact, two runoffs that will determine the outcome of the Senate, which in my view, it's determined anyway. You know, the Democrats have control anyway, but whatever. I mean, that's what most people think. Republicans have a 103 to 75 majority in the House and a 35 to 21 majority in the Senate. Okay. They also have a governor named Brian Kemp, who is, happens to be a Republican. Again, I, I, I want to reiterate. We're always told, well, you know, remember when Republicans had the trifecta in, in, in the, at the federal level in Washington? Well, we don't have 60 seats in the Senate. Well, again, they have a 35-21 majority in the Senate. That's a 62.5% majority. Okay? Why is there no ban of mail-in ballots for the runoff? Okay? Why is there no verification system with, you know, requiring either witness signatures or or um, ID cards for absentee ballot. What are they doing about the runoff? I mean, this is the point. We have nowhere to turn. I I I really want to know. It's like, it's like, you know, you know, when you're like just violated and you say to yourself, Come on, this can't be happening. This is just this is just illegitimate. You can't seize my house. You can't seize my property. You can't do this to me. 
You can't shut down my church. You can't, you can't force me and, and my 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 two three year old child to cover his face in public. Come on, you can't get away with that. But they're getting away with it. Whenever the ends of government are perverted, public liberty manifestly endangered, all other means of redress are ineffectual. The people may and of right ought to reform the old or establish a new government. The doctrine of non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression is absurd, slavish, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. This is our challenge. There's not one King George. There's many of them. It's an entire cultural elite. It's the media. It's big tech. It's big business. They're all in cahoots. It's both political parties. And it's not like we have one area where we have like all like-minded people. It's kind of mixed in rural versus urban in all 50 states. Where do we go? This is the big vexing question that we need to have an answer in the coming weeks. So with us today, as promised, is Mark Meckler, who is the director of the Convention of the States Project, has done tremendous work at a grassroots level. He's a a superstar in terms of grassroots organizing for liberty, organizing for the Constitution. But more relevant to today's discussion, he's also a co-founder of the Tea Party. And, you know, it really pains me to think back that it's been 10 years now. I can't believe it. Since that time, very nostalgic, because I think we all felt that I remember thinking, eh, you know, in the spring of 2009, and I guess really we're talking about more than 10 years now. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, where, oh my gosh, this is like, maybe it's a good thing Obama was elected. We found, finally got the band of brothers together. We got the Sons of Liberty together. We're not just going after Obama, but after the Republican Party and to actually start something new. And then, ugh, It got hijacked all into, you guessed it, the Republican Party. The rest is history. And now, 12 years later, the stakes are so much higher. The tyranny we are facing from Republican governors, much less Democrat ones, as we just talked about in Ohio, in states that Trump won resounding victories in, it may as well be California. Everywhere we turn, Mark, here's what I want to know from you. Everywhere we turn, there is no redress. The courts that give redress to illegal aliens and criminals tell us, speak to the hand. Get out of here. Okay. So then Republicans, well, no, they're they're just as uh, into mask Nazism as the Democrats. Um, nowhere to go. No red state, no red county. I don't know where to move to. You want to talk about it? Nope. Anything critical of... Masks will be censored, won't be published. So we're losing our our ability to even speak out. If you notice what they seem to be doing is forcing us, Mark, into one thing that we can do. Because if you kind of noticed every peaceful avenue of redress, and that evidently includes fair elections too, has gone out the window Looking back on those 12 years, what are the similarities and differences? What are the things we can learn? Where do we go from here? Mark, take it away. 
All right. Well, I want to back up first and and talk a little bit about the Tea Party movement itself and what it accomplished and what it failed to accomplish. I think the big accomplishment of the Tea Party movement was to change the narrative. One of the things that you're talking about so boldly here today, you hear a lot of folks on the right talking about now, and that is just our what are our God-given rights? What are our constitutional rights? And and how is that supposed to throttle or restrain the politicians within our system? Whether it does or not is another discussion. But back in 2009 and, and frankly prior to the Tea Party movement, very few people were talking about that. That was just not a mainstream conversation. I would say that very few people had read the United States Constitution. I can tell you, I went through law school and we didn't read it or studied in law school. You took con law, but you actually never read the Constitution. <laughs> Today, because of the Tea Party movement, in my opinion, more Americans than ever before by percentage basis, and it's a huge percentage, have read the United States Constitution. Millions of them were distributed during the Tea Party movement. Many, many tens, if not hundreds of millions more since I meet people all over the country carrying around a pocket constitution. They know the constitution. They've read it. There's been a fundamental shift in the mentality of the American public. We actually understand that we have a constitution. Uh, most people, I would argue, understand that we have God-given rights that should be protected by that constitution. So I think there was a narrative shift that took place during the Tea Party movement. That was the great success of the movement. The second success of the movement is that it disappeared. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. <laughs> But every, every successful political movement should go away. And what I mean by that is if you stay in the streets screaming and yelling, which we all did a lot of, then no change happens. Change happens from inside the system. And so what happened is a lot of these folks went in and started to infect the system with Tea Party ideas. And if you look at this presidential, not this one, but the, the last presidential election that elected Donald Trump as our president, I would argue that was sort of the, the end game of the Tea Party movement. While Trump was by no means a Tea Party candidate, if you look at the majority of the candidates that faced off against him, a lot of them rose up through the Tea Party movement. Whether we love them or not anymore, these are folks, you know, you've got Rand Paul, you've got Marco Rubio, you've got Ted Cruz. All of these guys came out of the Tea Party movement, and a lot of these guys still speaking like Tea Partiers. So it's important to remember what happened is a, a lot of guys like that, and, and I'm naming guys that are sort of at the top of the political ecosystem, but as I travel around the country, what you do is you meet Tea Party folks in every level of the political system. Now, you meet them in governor's offices, you meet them in state legislatures, they're in Congress. People will say to me, hey, Mark, I've been following you since the beginning of the Tea Party movement. I went into politics because of what you and a bunch of us were doing at the time. So I think it did a very good job of infusing the system with a new set of people. Was it enough? The answer is unequivocally no. Like a lot of those people got eaten by the system. The system had all kinds of structural flaws that we're trying to address with the Convention of States. And so that's kind of the history. Where are we now compared to then? I think, as you described, we are, in my opinion, in much more precarious times now. And we're in more precarious times because I believe that those that are enemies of liberty are much, much bolder today. They're much more aggressive today and much more open about the things that they're doing. They, they say them openly. They are trying to push our country into totalitarianism, socialism, communism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I describe it as a form of fascism, actually. And so I think we are, because of those things, in a much more precarious position than we were back in the days of the Tea Party. So the question is, how do we catch lightning in a bottle? And what I mean by that is this. 
I am by no means conceding that Biden won. In fact, I believe he did not win. Um, But, you know, I'm just gaming this out, assuming Biden will be sitting in the Oval Office. Although, as you all know, everything we're talking about applies even if Trump is because the tyranny we're seeing in the states has occurred in Trump's first term. And it, it they're very much emboldened. I am shocked at what is going on with these lockdown policies. I mean, it is getting worse. They appear to have been emboldened since the election. Um, and that includes states like Ohio and Utah. And here's what I don't understand. You work very closely with state legislators. You know them better than most people because of the Convention of the States project um, that you've successfully gotten a number of these Republican legislatures on board. It's already passed. And this is not just some funny funny money stuff. This is a real live constitutional amendment. Um, this is a live ball that's still in play. But on the other hand, I'm looking and I see 24 states where Republicans control the trifecta. And that is where they control the governorship, the House, the Senate. And in more than half of those states, they they have super majorities um, beyond a filibuster in a, in a given state Senate. And what I don't understand is this. Why is it that there is not a single one of those states that we could point to as our equivalent of California? In fact, a lot of them are California. I mean, the blue version of it, meaning they have the California policies. Ohio, I talked about super majorities in both houses. They picked up more seats in the House this past time. You have other states. I mean, like Utah, I don't even know what's going on there with the mask fascism, with the uh, National Guard being used to to violate Fourth Amendment rights and, and spy on people. I mean, this is unbelievable. Shouldn't we be going into the January legislative sessions across the nation with super majorities where people like me and pa- patriots who live in states like Maryland could say, you know what? That's a state I could go to even if Joe Biden is president. And I could live out my life, liberty, property, worship the way I want, not be forced to wear a diaper, um, not have my kids abused and traumatized in school, um, not have the businesses shut down, have free commerce, um, be safe from criminals and have you know the law enforcement be used against violent people, not against us. Mark, show me a state where I can go and I'll move there. Well, I don't think there is one at the state level. And this is really interesting. You and I talked about this yesterday. I told you I'd reach out to my contacts in Utah, very deep contacts in the Utah legislature, also in the grassroots and and at the county and city level all over Utah. So I made a few phone calls because one of the things that, that I had said to you is I think Utah is one of the best run states in the country. But you have the governor, uh, Herbert, who has just issued a statewide mask mandate. I mean, looks a lot like California, a bunch of other stuff in addition to the mandate. And so I wanted to dig in because I know Utahns and they're not really copacetic with this kind of stuff. So I wanted to figure out what was going on. I, I went and first looked at the COVID numbers in Utah. And what I saw is it's basically flat everywhere except for Salt Lake County, right? The main the main city in Utah. And that is the the case count is skyrocketing. Important to note, as it is pretty much all over the country, the death rate's not going up, right? And so we're better at treating it. We realize that there are a lot of people who are getting it, who aren't getting sick. We're doing a lot more testing. So there's some misleading stuff. There's a head fake going on in the statistics. But nonetheless, the case count's going up in Salt Lake County. The governor there, Herbert, is termed out. 
So he's got about eight weeks left total in his term. And he is a Republican, as you said. And he has a health department director who is an epidemiologist who definitely is a leftist Democrat. And that's just that's where she is. She comes out of Chicago. She's a leftist. She's putting on all kinds of public pressure that they need to be doing mask mandates and all this stuff to, quote unquote, flatten the curve. We might have heard that before, huh? Uh, anyway, what I was told by people all across the state is nobody actually cares what the governor says. Like, I talked to lots of people. They're having, you know, they have big families there. They're having big family gatherings. They're not supposed to be doing this. They're generally not wearing masks. If you're in Salt Lake County, that county itself has become fairly liberal, Democrat dominated. You see masks all over the place. You get outside of Salt Lake County. Nobody cares. Nobody's paying attention. A lot of people believe it's just Herbert saying, you know, I got eight weeks to go. I don't want to mess with this. I don't really care. I'll throw in a mask mandate. There are also a lot of people. I had a bunch of people tell me this, that they think he's doing it because he wants to relieve all this stuff before Thanksgiving. And so his latest order is just a two week order. And they expect that he's going to reverse all this stuff in two weeks and say, hey, you know, I did I did what you asked me to do. Now it's Thanksgiving and people go do what you want. People in Utah generally are doing what they want once you get outside of Salt Lake County. So I'm not saying that's how we want the states to operate, but that's just the practical reality on the ground. So, I mean, you're bringing up another point, which is, you know, we talk about states, but then it goes to the county level and there's over 3,000 counties easily Trump will wind up winning 80% of them and a significant number of them he's going to win by a very wide margin. And we we find that all the time. And and I think what we spoke about last time was that, you know, people laugh and say there's no no one living in these counties and all the ones that have the big populations are Democrat. And that's fine. But the reality is that when you have a county, you have its own unique unit of government, its own sovereign jurisdiction, and you control that just as much as you control L.A. County with 10 million people, okay? And if anything, as, a, as an individual living in a county with 30,000 people, well, you know, you have more per capita control. Yes. So my point is we should have hundreds, but really even, you know, well over a 1,000 counties that easily, easily, this stuff is a non-starter. And this is my question for you and the challenge for you on recreating what the Tea Party looked like in 2009, but what is so much more robust and speaks to the time we live in now is a movement of an American sanctuary where we should have numerous states and certainly at the very minimum counties where it is it becomes very clear. And I think it needs to be some sort of declaration of rights where they adopt, this is what we're doing. Violations of the First, Second, and Fourth Amendments under the guise of corona fascism is a non-starter here. Um, rioting and maiming you know, people and looting and, and rioting is a non-starter over here. That just doesn't happen. Biden might be doing his things. He might be doing things internationally, nationally. He might promulgate some executive orders. This doesn't happen here. This is a tyranny-free zone. This is a constitutional sanctuary. There, there is a need for that, and and I feel typically Republicans do get more righteous when they're at a when you know there's a Democrat in office. 
So there's a lot of potential. We have the people that are activated. 85% of Republicans believe that the election was stolen. Yet Trump, who had all these rallies, probably not going to go away no matter what. No, he's not going away. That's my question. How do we... I feel like we have, amidst all the darkness, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do that surgery. You know, not this just like, okay, let's just put the gauze pad on. Like, okay, no, no, like to really, at least in parts of the country, do what we've always needed to do and not just staunch the immediate concerns we have, but to really go back and return to constitutional governance. My audience is looking for guidance on that. And and, and, and that's what we're all struggling with, where we go next. I want to see what, what some of your incipient thoughts are on this. Okay, I think you and I are in the same place. And if I were to take the lead or, or look at a model, you know, Virginia, we all now concede has become a blue state because of Northern Virginia. But the state geographically is not a blue state. Geographically, 85, 90% of the state is very conservative. And there's a huge Second Amendment movement in Virginia right now because the legislature moved against guns very hard. The citizens organized right now as of and this is a number goes back to August. I think it's a little more now, but 130 cities and counties across Virginia have approved some kind of Second Amendment sanctuary statement. 86 of Virginia's 95 counties, at least last time I looked, had declared themselves Second Amendment sanctuaries. And I think this is a great model for us. I think what we need to do is start doing this. And I would argue not on a state by state basis. We should do it on a county by county basis, That maybe cities and people and cities and counties should declare themselves American sanctuaries. And I would say that the best way to describe that is constitutional sanctuaries. We're going to live according to the original intent of the Constitution. That's the way our laws are going to be. Those are the only laws that we're going to enforce. And I can tell you, when you look at these 86 of Virginia's 95 counties, one of the things they're doing is their sheriffs are just saying, hey, yeah, if you're going to to impose laws that aren't according to the Second Amendment, then we're just not going to enforce them. So we need to get law enforcement on our side. We need to go out to all these rural counties, and we need to have them declare themselves constitutional sanctuaries. No, and that's exactly the point. I mean, I'm looking for a vacation home with my extended family, kind of a second home to get away from all this anarchy and tyranny in rural Pennsylvania. But, you know, and there's a lot of good Trump counties there. I mean, we saw that energy counties that he won but with 80 percent there. Um, for that matter, I'm not too far from West Virginia, where you have the trifecta super majorities. They picked up more seats. But, I mean, that Jim Justice guy is is with the mass mandates and the school fascism and the child abuse every bit as much as, as you know, our Democrat and all but name only governor here in Maryland. And, and that, that I mean, that's I think that's our job. And I think there's no reason why we can't just make it very clear to these people. Hey, buddy, this is what you're doing. Um, you know, let me throw out another thing to you, Mark. There's a, a runoff coming uh, coming up on January 5th in Georgia right now. Now, personally, my belief is Democrats already have control of the Senate um, and they always have and they always will. Um, But, you know, okay, I'll indulge the game that this is the most important Senate uh, compound uh, runoff that we've ever had. Okay, well, Republicans have a 62.5% majority in the state Senate there. So you get, get beyond the filibuster. They have the House, like 105 to 75. They have a Republican governor. 
Why are mail-ins not banned? I mean, this is what I'm, where is the pressure on the legislators? Well, you know, I think because (laughs) to put it bluntly, they're lame. This is, there's a narrative that has flowed out across the land that if you're against mail-in voting, then you're a racist. (laughs) And, and it's literally that simple. It sounds funny. Barack Obama has said this. And so that narrative is out there and it's played fairly successfully to cow Republicans so that they do as they're told. I believe, Daniel, and, and maybe I'm overly hopeful, but I believe that's going to change. You know, I'm talking to legislators all over the country right now and at the very top of their agenda right now for the coming session is cleaning up the electoral system. And every single one that I'm talking to at the top of that agenda on cleaning up the election system is getting rid of mail-in ballots. And so whether they actually have the intestinal fortitude to do it, I'm always doubtful because most legislators don't. But this is where we come in as citizens, right? If once in a while the legislatures try to do the right thing and our job is to go wild in support of them, it's pretty rare they do the right thing, but we have to step up. And normally what we do, to be honest, when they do the right thing, we pretty much ignore them. And then we just attack them when they do the wrong thing. That's the kind of the easy default position. Yeah. So what we have to do right now as citizens, one is push them to do the right thing, which is we need you to do away with mail-in voting. There are really two primary things, by the way, that would clean up our voting system. And, and we're putting together a package of this stuff right now. But the two primary things are voter ID in every state and doing away with mail-in voting. That would clean up a lot of it. There's, there's other things we need to do. We need to get obviously get the dead people off the rolls, clean up, clean up the voting rolls as well as we can. And and we can do a lot of that. There's some cross references we need to do with the death database, with the uh, U.S. mail database for moving. So we can clean up a lot of this. And I think that that package of legislation is going to make its way fairly easily through Republican legislatures in 2021. But it's up to us to be involved in that process. Now, when you're talking about states and so-called red states, every, you know, all eyes turn to Texas because it's the second largest state in the country and the largest Republican state. Now, there is a systemic problem there in terms of it slipping um, that nobody denies. But, you know, they overperformed based on what they thought was going to happen this election. Do you see any hope there um, in moving Greg Abbott more in the direction of Ron DeSantis and Christy Nome on coronavirus, um, the state legislature? I mean, is are there any opportunities there or is it the same old, same old? Same old, same old. I think uh, uh, Governor Abbott is one of the worst governors in America. And I say that <laughs> because he, you know, I'm here and, and I, I need to be frank about this. Look, Governor Abbott was a huge supporter of Convention of States, so kudos to him for that. <laughs> and he made it an emergency item when we passed. But the way I deal with politicians is I don't have allies. For me, politicians are based, they're, they're good or bad based on what they're doing right now. What was their last vote and what will their next vote be? And Governor Abbott has been frankly, terrible and manipulative and dishonest on the COVID stuff. He's played to the radical left. I mean, in a lot of ways, very similar to governors in California or New York or wherever. And we do have Republican majorities in both houses. But I think they live in fear because our majorities are not huge. And so they think, oh, if we do anything that's even slightly conservative, then we're going to lose our majority. The truth is the exact opposite. The more conservative they are, the bigger the majorities get. I'll give you a very specific example. We maintained all of our seats in the Texas legislature. We were really worried about this, this cycle. 
there was one Republican seat that was lost and we picked up another one in exchange. But the one that was lost is the important place of edification, which is down in Houston. And a woman named Sarah Davis, who claims to be a Republican, was running to retain her seat. She is uh, pro-choice, pro-high taxes, pro-LGBT stuff, pro you know, men in women's bathrooms, all that. Like, she's just a leftist. She claims to be a Republican. There's not, no positions that she has that are Republican. And so she's running as a Republican. It's a relatively moderate district. And she lost. And she lost to a Democrat. <laughs> because this is the lesson. When Republicans pretend to be Democrats, or then eventually the people will just choose a Democrat. Like, why wouldn't <laughs> Right. If, if you're running with all the Democratic policy positions, but you're a Republican, why would you choose a Republican? Just get the real thing. And so the only person who lost in all the races we cared about, we were participating in 18 races. We didn't defend her because I frankly thought she should lose. She lost. And so the lesson in that is Republicans need to act like Republicans. Yes. And the more they act like Republicans the more they win. It's the opposite of what they think. And, and, and I think, Mark, we saw this so much this year with the so-called minorities. And I just use it because that, that's what the left is obsessed with. Right. And, and this paradigm from phony Republicans for years that you have to support election fraud, you have to support criminals, you have to support illegal aliens, like in order to get their vote. And it was like, here you have Trump that on paper – according to their playbook, has done everything possible to insult them. In in their mind, in the mind of the establishment, that's the worst way to get their vote. I mean, you say you, you talk down illegal aliens, you know, oh my gosh, we got a major problem here. And you saw in Texas there the most remarkable thing I've ever seen in politics. I never thought it was possible. The RGV, those counties, Star, um, Zapata, uh, Hidalgo and and uh, Cameron. I mean, we're talking about in like Star County, I believe was in the top five Hillary counties. It was right up there with Manhattan. It was like 82 to 20 Hillary majority. Right. You know, 80, 20, roughly, roughly around there. Um, you know, and, and it wasn't just Hillary. I mean, it was enduring for many, many years and decades. Very Democrat. These counties are over 90%. Um, I guess Hispanic heritage, however they get that in the census. Yep. And it was we saw 50, 40 point swings. He came within five in star. He flipped Zapata. Um, to me, that that shows a blueprint on a state level. They don't want the cartels. They don't want their land being, uh, you know, their sovereignty being trampled upon by the cartels and the drug runners and the legal aliens. And that tells me there's so much more to reach out with. You know, typically I'm not into looking at, you know, different demographics. I hate that because we believe that you look, you govern for the people as a whole. That's that's what governance is about. No policy should ever be directed at any income level, at any demographic. Um, it should be the whole of the people. But what I think is amazing is when you look at the lockdown policies, that truthfully is something you know, all the things they say hurts minorities and it's just made up. That actually is something that it is a it is a wealthy suburban white privilege to sit and work from your house, earn your hundred fifty thousand dollar paycheck. And they're the ones who have to go out and get crushed. 
they get crushed from the risk of the virus, according to these people that think the virus is the worst thing. Well, they gotta, they're the ones confronting it. They're the ones enabling your ability to get your Amazon packages for you right. and, and live the way you do. Like, oh, I don't have a problem with lockdown. That, that seems to be working. <laughs> yeah. Like, gee, I mean, we have such a messaging opportunity. And I just feel like we need, you know, I, I feel like the Tea Party movement didn't get enough of these people. But I think we can now with an American sanctuary movement. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and there is something very unique about President Trump and the reason that he was able to swing a bunch of Hispanic voters, Asian voters, gay voters, black voters. Muslims. Unique, what's that? <laughs> he even get, he got he got in the 30s with Muslims. Yeah. And he got on, you know, basically 50% of the Jewish vote in Georgia and Florida. So Jews and Muslims, I mean, it's, it's like every he, Native Americans too. some of the Indian reservations, North Carolina, we saw this. Um, I mean, well, you know what? So here, here is why I think that is because the left is just dumbfounded by this. Donald Trump is Donald Trump, love him or hate him. He's going to speak exactly the same to me you know, a, a lawyer, white middle-class lawyer, as he speaks to inner city black people. Like, he's just, everybody's just people. And I don't believe, and Donald Trump is so Donald Trump, he doesn't have the ability to pander in the way that most politicians do. He doesn't have a pro special way of speaking and a special program that he presents to Mexican Americans and to gay yep. Americans and to Muslim Americans. And if you look at the Democratic platform, it's unbelievable. You look at Joe Biden's platform, it's just like this is this is what the gays need. This is what the Muslims <laughs> need. This is what the Jews need. Trump's just like, hey, you know, this is what Americans need. This is what I'm doing for America. And I think it's refreshing to people that you have a man who speaks to everybody as an American, as opposed to a hyphenated American. And I think that's where we win. It's not that we go after the black community with some new and different message. It's that we talk to the black community just like they're part of America because they are. You know, I, I think that's a powerful message. I, I think this is the we need an American sanctuary movement that, hey, you could live here. You could, as long as you're not harming other people and trying to beat other people, you know, you, you, it, it's hands off. And, you know, you have the right to earn a living, the right to run a business, the right to go to church. You have the right to self-defense. And that will be recognized here. And, and that is the most universal message um, because there's good dudes and bad dudes and every type of demographic you could uh, possibly conjure up. And all the good dudes and all the respective demos have that in common. <laughs> yeah. And well, look, I mean, you and I have more in common with a uh, hardworking married Hispanic family in the inner city than these elitist Democrats <laughs> living in New York in their penthouses have. And we, we value the same things. We value family. We value faith. We value hard work. We value education. We are very well aligned with the majority of Americans. And the, it's the narrative that matters. The pandering doesn't work anymore. And God bless President Trump. Whatever happens, he blew up the paradigm. And yep. we have the opportunity to have this conversation because of what he did. Yep. Um, unbelievable. He, he, he built a border wall in the counties with 90% Hispanic voters that voted 80% Democrat and were told, get your stinking border wall out of here. And that is the worst place to put it. 
and which is why it was never in Texas for many years. It was only in Arizona and California. And he put it there in Stark County and he swung the vote by 55, a 55 point spread. Um, that is, again, I mean, I, I think there's a lot to hope for. Uh, a lot of people, Mark, are going to be looking to you and your grassroots for the next big movement, the next big Tea Party, the next big revolution that we need in this country that actually measures the severity of of the problems that we're confronted with in the time we live in. So, Mark, I mean, we're looking for that next movement. We hope to be hearing from it soon. Where could people come to get involved in what you're doing? Yeah, just keep an eye on us at conventionofstates.com. Get signed up. And understand this, it's about way more than a convention. What it's about is self-governance. That's at the root of self-governance. But everything we do, we're involved in multiple projects. We did massive get-out-the-vote efforts. Anything that says that the people should govern themselves, that's where you're going to find us. And the Center for Organizing That is at Convention of States. That's what I love about you. I mean, I'm just saying, Mark, I'm a big supporter of the Convention of the States, but we all know... Um, what are you up to? 16, 15 states? 15 states, and it looks like we'll get 8 to 10 in the coming year. Yeah, and that's more successful than almost any uh, uh, you know, constitutional am- uh, amendment movement, uh, which was done more the traditional way, uh, but certainly with Article 5 in our 200-year-plus history. Um, but nonetheless, we all recognize that is, that is going to take time, time we do not have now to deal with corona fascism and things like that. So you're taking that solid grassroots in in the states that are connected to the state legislators and many critical states and and dealing with life liberty property the coronavirus issues and many other issues second amendment and this is what i love not making it a one trick pony and and you know just having everything go into that and ignoring everything else so this is a good organization to get involved with mark thanks for joining us keep us updated as this movement progresses folks we are out of time Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.